the lesson will be entitled, Biblical Landmarks of Racial Truth. There are many defining truths in our generation that our young people need to know. The first one that is fundamental to survival is the gospel. You must have the gospel to make things right with God. If you don't have the gospel, if you've not made peace with God, by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, by sola scriptura alone, for the glory of God alone, nothing else will matter. Nothing else matters if you do not make peace with God in this life. And that only comes by faith through grace in Christ alone. So I would be remiss if I failed to remind everyone of the fundamental need of the gospel without which your ship will not arrive at the port of the kingdom. Now, next to your spiritual survival and walk with God comes the defining issue of our time, and that is race. Amen. It is the defining moment of our lifetime. If you lived in the 1500s, that would not be so important because Europe was pristine white. And nobody worried about other races excepting those Spanish-Portuguese vessels that were venturing off into the brown-colored races where they lived. But in our time of history, people, race is the defining issue. And if we have our salvation right, we will be inspired to get the race issue correct. So without further words, we will go to Genesis, the book of origins, chapter number one. Now, beloved, I want to caution everyone. I do not have any claim to having the racial knowledge of the Bible correct. I will do my very best to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches and history confirms and archaeology and all the history of time confirms. And so we'll be looking at Genesis number one. There are many questions that people have about racial truth. I'd like to remind us all that in Proverbs 22, verse 28, and Proverbs 23, 10, the Bible says, 
Remove not the landmarks which your fathers have set. Now with that thought in mind that we are not to remove the landmarks which our fathers have set, may I remind the congregation of the beautiful words, the marvelous words found in the song of Moses. And I believe the words that we will read together now from the song of Moses are the fundamental foundational truths among others on the subject of race. So let the Bible speak for itself. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 32 and we'll begin at verse number seven. Verse number seven of Deuteronomy 32. And Jamie, if you'd be so kind to come up here to this microphone and lead us in the reading of Deuteronomy 32, 32, 7 through 13. Now, I would like to make a request that these words be memorized by all the young people. They're easy to remember. Read them over a few times and you'll have most of these. In fact, I would encourage Bible memorization by the entire congregation. I strongly urge you to memorize Scripture. It is fundamentally one of the most important things you will ever do. And it's one of the greatest ways to, to build brain muscle or brain tissue. So, Brother Jamie, if you'll lead us from Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 13, and we're all going to read together. Deuteronomy 7 through 13. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him and there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Amen and amen. Ask thy fathers and they will show thee. And these are the words that Moses left all of us for all generations. They speak as clearly to us today as they did to the generation that Moses spoke of. Now you'll notice that the words of Deuteronomy 32 make it into the New Testament in one of the most controversial verses found there, a verse that has caused many, many Christians to stumble. Preachers have choked on it. Some have asphyxiated. 
on Acts 17.26. If you'll turn there a moment, in Acts 17.26, St. Paul in his famous Mars Hill sermon quoted from Deuteronomy 32. There's a world of people that want to change and make correction to the King James Bible. May I recommend that you leave Acts 17.26 as the 47 linguistic experts of your race who knew more about language than all of this congregation, including all of us combined and many others added to there. Those were men who were schooled in languages beyond the ability of us to assemble that body today in the Western world. The word blood should stay right in this verse. So let's read Acts 17, 26 together. This is a very controversial verse. And I don't know how many denominational preachers have used this to promote race mixing. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. If you look in the margin of your Bible, it's going to refer you back to Deuteronomy 32. St. Paul is only referring to white Adamite nations. And they all shared the common blood of Adam and Eve, the progenitors of the Caucasian race. So we're not talking about multiculturalism, not talking about racial diversity. Sadly, too many preachers and far too many Christian people in our generation read the Bible through the prism of our modern culture. And that's shameful because it has led us into grievous error. The issue of race is our defining issue. A typical conservative today, a political conservative today is generally, thank God for the exceptions, colorblind. And because they are colorblind, it has blinded them to a lot of the truths that need to be politically inserted into the American population if we are to survive at all. But that's another story, so let's go to Genesis 1. When God laid out the foundations of the earth, He spent very little time to tell us about the creation of the universe, of the earth we live on, and all the things that pertain to the creation. In 31 verses, God, by inspiration, has told us what he thought we needed to know about the general creation. It will do us little good to add to what God has said, because he's told us what we need to know. Now you come to the end of that chapter and what does that 
31st verse say? What does it say in Genesis 1:31? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So everything that God created was good. There was nothing created after day number six. No new matter, no new energy introduced into the universe after day number six. Notice what Genesis 2 verse 1 says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host, that included all the angels, of them. The Bible was not written to the angels. It has a lot of information on the angels, but the purpose of the Bible was not for the angels. God did not write the Bible for the angels. So there's just enough about the angels for us to know what we need to know about angel kind. God did not incorporate into Genesis chapter 1 knowledge of the other races because it was his intention when he set the boundaries of the nations not to talk about the other races. The purpose of the Bible was to acquaint his people, the race of Adam, with the essentials of racial truth. So the Bible says this in Genesis 5 and verse 1. Read this with me, Genesis 5, 1 and 2. So what does the Bible say? This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. He blessed them, called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. How many of you know that in those two verses, God incorporated Genesis 1 and 2? So we're not talking about any other race when we open the covers of the Bible beyond the Adamite race. Anything you add to that, I'm sorry, it's not in the Bible. When you spend time looking for cavemen or pre-Adamite men, men that preceded Adam like the Neanderthal or some of those fancy names that have been conjured up, you're wasting your time. The Adam kind people are the primary subjects of the Bible. Were there other races on the earth before Adam? And the answer is yes. When God created this wonderful universe, I noticed that if you look closely, there's great variety in everything that God created. Would you agree? Look at the myriad of flowers, all the way from tulips to roses to endless kinds of flowers. And every one of them have their own identification. If you look at the created world, look at the bird family. Look at the family of whales that swim in the water. 
all have retained their identity throughout the ages. The sperm whale never mates with a different kind of whale. All creation is created and programmed to observe the line defined by their creator and the kind and species to pre be preserved throughout time. When God created two-legged creatures, he made all kinds of different races. Uniquely bearing his ownership, he created them. He made them. He uniquely designed them for whatever purpose he chose. He did not think it necessary for us to know a lot of detail about these races. We know that the races that are on earth were on earth before Adam. They are not talked about, but we know they are there. How do we know that God created the giraffe or the elephant or the zebra? They're not mentioned in Genesis 1, but I assure you God created them. The other races are not named, but I assure you God created them. He did not find it important to particularize on those parts of his creation. But the curiosity of our time in history, one of the great burning desires of people is to know what God's purpose for the other races is. Now, if God wanted us to know in detail, he would have provided the information. But I think our preoccupation should be on what God wants us to be doing, how we should live, and what we should be up to while we're living and passing through our journey here on earth. So there's nothing in the Bible that's going to particularize the destiny of the other races. Were they ever under covenant? No. Were they under law? No. Do they bear responsibility to the Creator for the Ten Commandments? The answer is no. They were not under covenant. They're not under law. If you read the book of Romans, you won't have to read too far, too deep, and too heavy to know that there were some parts of the creation that were never under law and under covenant. So the problem in the denominational world today is that they have merged all races into one just biological blob. So they're all one. One of, uh, one of America's politicians is famous for saying, Red, white, yellow, black, we all bleed red, as though we were all the same kind. Hey, folks, the law of kind after kind, law of kind after his kind, appears ten times in the, in the Genesis record in chapter one. That's ordinal perfection, number ten, means ordinal perfection. 
The law of kind after his kind is the fundamental law of procreation in the Bible. Every species was created to procreate after its own kind and no other kind. And the merger of the species never takes place in the, among the created creatures of the forest or that fly in the air or among other forms of life. It's only those who have some rational ability to think with their brains that make a choice to follow the law of kind after his kind or to mess around with it. And those who do so pay a dear price. I mean those who do not follow the law of kind after his kind. So when we come to the book of Genesis, we know that Cain took a wife outside the family of Adam. Where did his wife come from? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically where he recruited his wife. He certainly didn't get her from the tribe of Judah. And I don't think he got her out of Ephraim. He didn't get her out of Adam. He did not marry a sister of his own kind, I can assure you of that. There were other races on earth. But let's go to Genesis chapter number 1. When God came to the end of his great creative work, in Genesis 1, 26, we are now going to read the fundamental, most important verses on the Adamkind race that will be found in the Bible in the book of Genesis. So let's read Genesis 1.26 and 1.27 together. So God, and God said, I'm in 26, Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. When I started out teaching identity many years ago, I was told by a number of people that Genesis chapter number 1, 26 and 27, and thereafter, was applicable to the pre-Adamite man. What a foolish statement that would be if I believed it. I just read where this creation is to be made in the image and after the likeness of God, and I assure you that that was not a cave-dwelling creation. Made in the image and after the likeness of God. Let's read on and see what God told and programmed into the souls, male and female, of this creation. In verse number 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, 
and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, I know you people are intelligent, and many of you, most of you are probably more intelligent than I am. But I know that it, there's hardly anyone in this building, even our young children, who would want to give a creation made in the image and after the likeness of God, a creation that is given the dominion of the earth, a creation that is told to be fruitful and multiply, do you think that God wanted to give all those blessings to a pre-Adamite, prehistoric race of people? I think not. Those are characteristics of the Adam kind creation, the white race made in the image and after the likeness of God. Now in those few succinct verses, notice what we have established. We have established our, our, the fact that we're made in the image and after the likeness of God. What does that mean? What does that imply? What is the explicit or the implicit meaning of that, of that idea that we're made in the image and after the likeness of God? What it means is, beloved, is that every one of us innately have a need, a necessity of being in communion with our Creator, of knowing Him, pleasing Him, serving Him, and being in right relation with Him, right relationship with Him. So we'll summarize by saying that God created us to have communion with us. That, that is the number one reason God created us. Now you'll notice it said, let us make God. I don't know who you believe was incorporated into the plural pronoun us and our in that verse. I'm talking about Genesis 1.26. But I'll assure you it is the Trinitarian action of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Now, if you'll take just a quick little trip, hold on to Genesis chapter 1, and turn over to your New Testament to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body, the conjunctive use of the word and in the Greek sets each one of those separately and particularly apart. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you want, may want to pencil Luke 1, 46 and 47, Isaiah 26, 9, and other verses to supplement the idea that when we were created in the image and after the likeness of God, he had reference to a created a family that would have a spirit, a soul, and a body made in the image and after the likeness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a fundamental meaning of 
being created in the likeness and after the image of God. So we were made, created to worship and be in communion with our Creator. If we do not make things right with God through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will find another God to serve and worship. We cannot survive without the worship of something. We were created to worship, to love and to serve our Creator God. And if we fail to do that, we will find another idol. Amen. Believe you me, that idol will be worshiped by whoever does not know the true God. Now the second quality that we have here that's given to the Adam kind creation is they're given a genetic heritage. It was a marvelous thing for God to uniquely create a race of people to bear his own image and likeness. That is a powerful truth. And the very idea of according that blessing to cave dwellers, that reduces my mental state uh, severely. It is almost an insult to scripture to believe that this is talking about any creation other than the Adamite creation. Now, if you want to do a study on the word man, Genesis 1.26, you're going to find that the word man in Genesis 1.26 is the Adam man. The Adam man to show blood in the face, to blush, turn rosy, red, Blood showing through the pigmentation of the skin has nothing to do, whatever, beloved, with the idea that this man, the word man is, is somehow kind of a universal uh, word for just anybody. It is a fundamental truth. We're only talking about the white Adamic race who technically alone qualify to be called men. Now I know that would go over like a lead balloon in most circles today. So we were given a genetic heritage. What else are we given here? We are given a gender identification. We are either male or female. There's no other gender. We are either born biologically male or we're born biologically female. God made every male and every female right here. Now, we're not talking about a physical body. We are talking about the soul. Without going into detail because our time is disappearing rapidly here. Your soul and spirit are incorporeal, not made, they're not made of, of corporeal matter as the body. Your spirit and your soul are not made of matter. They are the part of you that was created on the, at the end of the creative handiwork of a wonderful creation. 
So that means that the soul of everyone here was created at the same time. Now that should not shock you. We do not have a soul being created every time a child is conceived. Our God determines the time, the place, the parents, the destiny, the, her the racial heritage. Think of all the unchangeable choices God made in your life. He made a choice. He, he made the racial choice. He made the gender choice. How many, how many made those choices? He made the parental choice. Most of the important parts of who we are are totally out of the handiwork of a sovereign God. And we ought to be humbled and grateful for what God has done. So we have a genetic heritage, a gender identification. We also have a gender profile of how each gender is to function. When the command came to be fruitful and multiply, we're not going to have even Evelyn producing a child. Neither will we have Steve and Michael producing a child. It will require a man and a woman. We're defining the role of the man and the woman in this creative act of God. And we're told to be fruitful and multiply after the kind that God is creating here. This is a marvelous thing. And then, as if all these other blessings were not sufficient, God says, I want you to take dominion and subdue the earth and every living thing in it. That means that the white race were given the dominion over the entire earth, including all the other races who are very happy to be under the dominion of the white race until they are brainwashed. And if you want to look at that part of history, if you want to look at history, you will find that every white culture of which there is a record, was a Caucasian culture in the primacy of its beginning. They were all peopled by the white Adamic race and no other. When they talk about a great Chinese Asian culture, I know that you have studied or looked at the archaeological evidence of the red-haired Caucasians that once occupied the part of the earth where China is now. So the, the idea that there's any other culture that has produced a civilization that is a non-white culture is just simply not historically true. The ancient Egyptians, the Sumerians, all the ancient cultures were Adamic cultures. So we'll just simply leave it at there, at that. But the dominion of the earth, the call to dominion, the call to, to exert authority over the created world is a basic drive 
of the white Adamite man. And last night when our brother Reed was so eloquently talking about the romantic stages of American history, let me tell you, white men and white women and white boys and girls were the ones that were floating the Conestoga wagons across the Mississippi. They, the, they were the ones that were chopping their, through the forest. They, they were the ones that were taking the arrows of the Apaches, the Sioux, and all the other savages that, that occupied this land at that time in history. And I use the word savages because that's appropriate. And the word is found in the Declaration of Independence right where it belongs. So the idea that, that, that the white man has no call to dominion, yes, we're losing that call in our generation because we're being stripped of our masculinity. Our posture, the posture of young men today bears a lot of the resemblance of the feminine world. I'm sorry to say that. We need men who can square their shoulders, who have the ability to take their hands and do a lot of things. We're growing weak because the culture is impacting how we live far too much. So there's a lot in Genesis 1. Now the question arises, all these are the souls and the, the souls of both male and female. When you go to your New Testament record and you read Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, you read right the plain words of Scripture that those that are chosen in Christ were chosen before what? The foundation of the world. And that is confirmed in other verses of the Bible, which is another study. How could you be chosen before the foundation of the world if God did not know you? Your soul was in his presence. You had no consciousness of personal identification until you're conceived and put into your mother's womb. But I'll assure you that just as the soul will survive the death of the body, it preceded the body in time. But that's another study. So let's go now to Genesis chapter number two. Because quite honestly, there are many Bible students, and I'm not trying to undermine or to judge anybody, but I've been told by many, many Bible scholars that the Adam-kind creation begins in Genesis chapter 2. So let's look at something in Genesis 2. My contention, beloved, as we stated earlier, this is the book of the generations of Adam kind and of no other kind. So any other kind that's added in there is not by the authority of Scripture. 
But let's look at this more closely. We go to Genesis chapter 2, number, uh, verse number 5. My Bible reads, there was not a man to till the ground. Do you have that in your Bible? I'm in Genesis 2, verse 5. There was not a man to till the ground. Now, typically, what people often do is they'll say, when God created Adam, he is going to fulfill this need for a man to till the ground because the pre-Adamites did not cultivate the soil. Well, the problem with that thinking is there were no pre-Adamites that were anywhere close to being what God called Adamkind. They were non-existent in terms of there being anything close to the Adamkind creation. So let's look at something. Let's go down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, formed man. Now notice, we're not using the word created. The word formed is a Hebrew root word, yatsar, and it means to be molded or made out of a substance previously created and in existence. There's no new matter here being used. We're going to use the dust to the earth. It's already been created. We're not creating any new energy. God is not creating new energy here. He's going to take and he's going to form man. The word man in Genesis 2-7 has the identical meaning of the word man in Genesis 1-26. We're not talking about a different kind of man. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is the implanted spirit. The, the body without the spirit is dead. God breathed life into a body made from, formed from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, meaning he now has self-consciousness. When that soul existed with God, it had no self-consciousness. You do not remember that part of your existence, but God did. If you've read Psalm 139 and related verses, you know that God planned your life in ways that are past finding out. And so you would find that in Psalm 139, together with some other verses in the Bible. So we have here now the first body <clears throat> placed here in time and history. All the other souls and spirits that were created, and they were created the end of the creative work of God, <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 1. So now, the first one of those souls is being placed into a body. And we're going to call that man Adam. Adam, the Adam creation, made in the image and after the likeness of God.
to show blood in the face, rosy. We're also going to find that as we read on into this second chapter of Genesis, this created man is going to be given his call to dominion before a woman appears on the scene. So a man's call is a call to take dominion, take charge, make the way for the woman. So we read here in Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now if you read all the previous verses, you'll know that the Garden of Eden was an extensive territory. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now we know what resulted when Adam disobeyed God, when the woman that God gave him to be his helpmeet, when they transgressed God's holy law. And that is not the subject matter of this discussion, so we'll leave that as it may. I just simply want everybody to see here that the first man called forward to take dominion of the Garden of Eden was given conditional immortality. Adam could have lived forever. The woman Eve could have lived forever. So they could have decided to have children whenever they wanted to, I guess every thousand years, because eternity would be a very long time. And so they could have as many children as eternity would allow them to have, or their creator. But we know that that, that, did, uh, that whole process was interrupted with sin's entry into the world. So now... Let's notice something as we return to Genesis 5 and verse number 1. Genesis 5, 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he male, made he him, male and female, created he them, blessed them, called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Now, you can see how God joined the language of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he married those verses with Genesis 2, 7. They are married. Now, if you read on in the course of the Bible in the New Testament, you will find in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, when Jesus is chided by the Pharisees on the matter of divorce, I'm in Matthew 19 now, he reminded the Pharisees, he said, Matthew 19, 4, he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. I, I think you caught the meaning here. 
Jesus joined Genesis 1 and 2, the language are joined together here. The truth of Genesis 1 and 2 are married by Jesus together here. They form a union and they're talking about one race of people, the Adam kind people. So since we are running out of time, let's do some summarization here. Some summarization. Number one, we will not overly concentrate on the destiny of the other races except to say that you're welcome to study all you want to study about them. Most of the religions that have been spawned out of the other races are so vastly different from the religion God gave you that they are not even respectively close to each other. For example, in the world of voodooism, they have no identification of individuality after death. They merge into their ancestral spirits. If you look at the religions of the world, including the Hindu religion, what happens at death in the Hindu religion? Only in the religion God gave to His people do we have uncreated God descending to take to earth to take a body up uh, to take a body to save His own people. All these other religions are trying to find a way of self, self-made salvation by works. And that they learn from the white race. All that they know that bleeds over into Christianity, they've learned by their close association with the white race. So the best policy for young people is to have no close associations with the other races. I didn't say that you didn't treat them with courtesy. I've served in the United States Air Force with other races. I've been in the college classroom with them. I've been all over the place with them. And I treated them with courtesy. I treated them with courtesy just like I treated everybody else. But I made no friends with them. I did not make friends with the other races. And that was, you know, a choice that I made. And I think it's a good choice for everyone not to enter into any kind of close friendships and associations with the other race. Find your own kind and become a separatist. Become a separatist, not just a mild-keeping separatist, but make sure that all your relationships, people that you know closely, are of your own kind. Make absolutely certain that you never marry outside of your own kind. And make absolutely sure that you marry someone 
who is invested in reproducing their kind. And if they are not interested in children, run from them, flee from them. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So those are fundamental truths. Your family, your marriage, your local church should be racially composed of your own kind. And people, we're going to have to practice separatism in every way that we can. Because every day we march forward in history in modern America, our enemies are determined to push multicultural dogma and racial diversity, racial equality, racial equity, racial utter nonsense down our throats. And for me and my house, we will say no to all of it. And we're not going to buy into it at all. So my pleading here today is that all of us establish our racial priorities. Do not let isolated verses of Scripture, as in Acts 17.26, which is a quote from Deuteronomy 32. Ask thy fathers, and they will show thee. Thine elders, and they will tell thee. What will your elders, what will the people that are now in the graves, what would they tell us in this generation? They would tell us that when the Most High separated the, the children of Adam, not talking about the other races, when he separated the Adamites, he divided, he separated them according to the number of who? The children of Israel, because the children of Israel were his inheritance. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a waste, telling wilderness. He led him about. He kept him as what? The apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest. The eagle's a good symbol for Israel. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them up on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him. Made him to eat the increase of the fields. Suck honey out of the rock. And to suck oil. That's fracking. Suck oil out of the rock. I will guarantee you the white race learned how to do that. Once the colored races. White race. 99.999% of all major inventions in the world are attributable to the white race. We have blessed the entire earth. 
Yes, we have blessed the entire earth. Abraham was told that he would be a blessing. The children of Abraham have lifted the tide of prosperity to every part of the earth that they have supervised and taken dominion of. What happened to the, to the countries of Africa when the whites moved out of Rhodesia? What happened to all those African colonial countries dominated by white people? They went back to the jungle. Grass is now growing in the streets of Salisbury, Rhodesia. So we might as well embrace our whiteness. And if we're going to be called white supremacists, let's give them a reason for the title. Let's embrace our whiteness. I didn't say not to be courteous. I haven't said not to be polite. But let's not hide our identity. We are made in the image and after the likeness of God. We are His children. Let's take the dominion that God called us to take. If, it, if it's nothing but a postage stamp yard, let's make it the most respectable yard in the block. Let's make our houses shine like the little cottage that I stayed in when I visited Germany. All the little houses on the street where I had a bed and breakfast were polished, clean. Streets were clean. Not a, gr a, a gum wrapper in the street. Let's be a proud people and let's lift the tide of how we live. Let's be a moral people. Virtuous, moral, that our daughters would be virgins till the day of their marriage. That our young men would be virgin to the, to the day of their marriage. That we would reflect the moral standards that God gave our people and not allow ourselves to dip down into the sordid debauchery of the rest of the world. We do not have to follow the herd over the cliff. We can build our own culture, build our own future, build our future with God as our unfailing helper. Let's be happy of who we were created, stay that way, and reproduce ourselves in every way that we can through the legitimate channels of God and Scripture. Let's all stand.